Mendy here from the Triple Play Fantasy Football Show. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome players to a special episode of the Triple Play Fantasy Football Show. I'm your host, your quarterback, David Mendelson, here with the two goons, John Van Den and Eric Mendelson. What's going on, guys? I, I heard we have a real quarterback on this episode who's not you. There's no other quarterbacks besides me. You know, there's nothing more I could say that would top what John said because that was a burn. <laughs> I did feel that. Uh, well, John alluded to it. We got a quarterback on this special edition. We're not going to bore you guys with us talking. We're really excited to get here the interview. So please enjoy our interview with 10-year NFL veteran quarterback Jason Campbell. We welcome in the man that needs no introduction, but I'm going to give it anyway. A 10-year NFL quarterback that accumulated 87 touchdowns and played for five teams, though many know him from his time with the Redskins and the Raiders. He played his college ball at Auburn, in which he quarterbacked from 2001 to 2014 or 2004, and in 2004 led that squad to a 13 and donut record, SEC Player of the Year and MVP of the SEC Championship game. College career with over 7,000 passing yards, 45 passing touchdowns, and included nine rushing touchdowns just because he felt like it. He's at jcam underscore 17 on Twitter and jcampbell17 on the IG. Jason Campbell, what's up, man? Thanks for coming on. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Uh, it's an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, well, we're all from the uh, Washington, D.C. area, and we're all very familiar with you because we were in high school growing up watching uh, the Redskins play in high school. And uh, one of our favorite memories that you had was doing the uh, Eastern Automotive Group commercials. You remember doing those? Yeah, I remember doing Eastern Motors, Eastern Motors. <laughs> yes. Your jobs, your credit. <laughs> those were classics. <laughs> uh, they, um, it was you and Clinton Portis, Antoine Rendell, and uh, Chris Cooley, right? Yeah, yeah, Chris Cooley. LeVar Arrington, too, right? No, not LeVar, but um, gosh, who else was it? Uh, somebody from Baltimore was on there with us. Might be Willis McGahee. Okay. Yeah. They, they, they can't forget Biz Marquis was in a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> right, Biz Marquis. I don't know if he was on the on the filming lot at the same time as you. Yeah, yeah, he did. He had one though. He went on the one with us, but he had one. Uh, well, Jason, I'm gonna go back to the high school days to start out, and of course, just being as dominant as you were in high school what's that feeling like where you're like i'm so much better than everybody else where you could date any girl you wanted to date every guy wanted to be like you what was that like well it, it sounds good but it wasn't that way for real but uh no it was fun you know my dad was a coach uh he kind of brought me up early on uh taught me a lot about the game you know i didn't play peewee football or anything i didn't start into junior high i was seventh grade but you know just competing out in the yard. I, mean, I had an older brother, and they never took it easy on us. You know, they used to try to do everything they can to to break us in, as they call it. And uh, so, you know, my high school is used to winning. So every year, you feel like you have to hold a tradition and keep it going. So, 
you know, I, I come from a very proud high school where, where you know, guys have, have really had a lot of success. So, you know, for me, man, it was just about I had a dream. You know, I had a dream. I wanted to be different. You know, I just wanted to, you know, play on Sundays and have the opportunity to to make my family happy and make my community happy. And uh, and that just stayed with me. Even when I got to Auburn, uh, you know, it's just something that always stick with you as your childhood and and being able to go back and get those other kids hope. Right. And and so you touched on it again. You played high school, in Mississippi, uh, which is seen as a very conservative state. You played college in Auburn, which is in Alabama. And those environments can sometimes be seen as as big places for racial injustices in our country. And obviously, everybody's talking about the George Floyd incident. And I think it's very important for those that don't understand these have been going on a lot longer than the, the George Floyd tragedy. And especially you, Jason, growing up in those areas, was is there anything just for the listeners that we have that speaking on our platform just to kind of talk about everything that's going on just from your perspective and to educate people that might not be as educated? Yeah, like, you know, I got a lot of white friends, you know, I want to say that first and foremost. I have a lot of white friends and, um, you know, we have a really good relationship. The hard thing about this is we've been this has been a disease that's just been going on for over 400 years. You know, it's been a, a cough that we hadn't found a vaccine for. And uh, mm-hmm. racism is just something that's always been here. And uh, and what we have to do, man, we just have to try to do what we're doing now. And that's people coming together, you know, people locking arms and 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 spending time together and talking together and just try to find an understanding of what's the real issue and what's the problem. And during this time, there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable conversations. And I always say uncomfortable conversations bring the best out of everyone because people don't people are afraid to have them in life. And they never get settled. It just pushes things into the future. You know, you are going to deal with situations now. You're going to deal with them later. And I feel like us now, I think this is the first time in my generation in my lifetime that I've seen this many people come together across the country and in in other countries. And I think it's going to pay dividends because my whole thing is, man, we're all created in God's image. You know, if you can't love someone else because of their skin color, then that means you're denying God because you didn't get to choose to come here black or white. God chose what color you come here. So, you know, that's how I, I feel with racism. Like when I look at a white person that I play ball with that I'm friends over to school with, I look at him like my brother. You know, we we, we play, mm-hmm. ball, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I've had I have white friends come to my house all the time. I go to their house, they spend nights at my house, spend nights at their house. And it's just, man, when we're all together and we're all working for one common goal, man, life is just better. You mm-hmm. can go to a stadium and you can be with black and white and you can root for your team to win. Why can't it be the same outside a football stadium? Like, you know, hate has put us in this situation and it's it's not doing good for anyone. You know, people are losing family members and, you know, you're having to have these hard conversations. And it's just like you have one life and you can't take it for granted. And, you know, we got to understand that as a human being, society and uh, and everything. So I feel like we're headed in the right direction as far as like looking across the country and seeing people take action to this. And I always say to my white friends, they always say, how can we help, Jay? I say this, I say, look, I don't expect you to understand because you wasn't born black, Mm -hmm. just like I wasn't born white. So I can't understand everything from a white perspective. I say, but what you can do is have these conversations that when you are with your family, your friends and someone says something out of the ordinary, you can correct them by standing up at that point and saying something and putting an end to it. I say, that's how you help us. That's how you help our community. And it's the same way in our household as well. You know, so. 
we got a lot of work to do, but man, I believe we're finally, finally understanding each other to a point that we can lock together and move forward. Jason, I really appreciate everything you just said. And I knew, I know you're a very well-spoken individual. And so I, I really was looking forward to the opportunity for you to kind of share with our listeners your thoughts. So thank you for that. And um, I, I, again, we, us three, you know, we're white and, and we will never understand it, but we, we do want to make sure that we stand for what's right. And, and, we won't understand it, but we, again, really appreciate that everything you just said. And, um, again, is very much appreciated. Um, I want to take us back to the football side of things for a second and go mm-hmm. to the, your college career. And you had a different offensive coordinator every single year in college. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so what was it like having so many different voices every single year during your college career? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, it's the same with the NFL. You know, out of 10 years, I think I had six. So um, the whole thing is, man, you can either adapt or you can just fall behind. And I just felt like, you know, just keep adapting. You know, it's, it's for a reason. And uh, every year I would try to take something that I learned from the year before and apply it to the, to the next season. And when I look at a playbook, I would try to find similarities because you can't just get rid of everything you just learned. You know, that's mm-hmm. important. But you try to find similarities to the new stuff that you're trying to incorporate. And uh, you kind of go from there. And for me, as a challenge, the only hard thing I would say about it is I never really got the opportunity to see how really good I could have been by staying with one system for more than two years. Because every year that I was in a system for the first year, the second year, I took dramatic steps. And you never got a chance to get to phase three and four where you already head and above all the other stuff. So that was the hardest part for me. But you know, I don't question things. You know, I, I had an opportunity to play 10 years, could have played a little bit more, but, you know, had a, some injuries and just, you know, it just, it's tough. When you learn a lot of offense, you kind of get burnt out a little bit. So, and I mean, it, it's definitely, it didn't matter for you at the end of the day because 13-0 and 0 season in your last season, you had a stacked roster with Cadillac Williams, Ronnie Brown, Carlos Rogers, yourself. I mean, you guys were just killing it your last year. So, I mean, it just, it just goes to show as long as you've got people that are willing to put in the work, as long and you have people with the right voices in your ear, anything can happen. But- yes. Speaking of Carlos Rogers, you guys both got drafted uh, by the Skins in the 2005 draft. How did it feel getting drafted with your teammate? Did you guys still keep in touch? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we still keep in touch. We live about 10 minutes apart here, you know, and, uh, and everything. So, yeah, you know, it was cool, you know, getting drafted with a former, you know, former face. And, uh, you know, he understands me, I understands him and, you know, and everything and how hard we work. So, you know, it made it easier. I say that transition from college to the pros, because you had someone that you can kind of get around in the city with that, that knew you and uh, and everything, even though we would make our own lifestyles as we continue to grow. But, you know, that was that was a fun aspect. You know, that don't happen all the time. And, uh, you know, to be able to play with a guy for four years in college and then five years in the pros, you know, uh, you know that's almost unheard of, you know. So that was, that was a great experience. I know April that draft 20. night. I know that draft night. You guys were partying together. <laughs> <laughs> well, we was kind of partying before that. We uh, <laughs> college Cadillac, Ronnie, Carlos, myself. We all got new cars, and uh, so we kind of rode around the campus and did a, what we call the block party. And uh, everyone was coming outside. We was hunting horns and stuff, and people started playing music. We were playing music, man. We had a great time. Like uh, so, that was some fun times. You know, leaving college and heading into the pros. So most definitely. I was going to say April 23rd, 2005 was draft night. Was there any special memories outside the parties and stuff going up to that night that you remember, like with your family or anything like that? Yeah, you know, my parents, uh, you know, I 
you know, I say this all the time. You know, I'm, I'm blessed to have the parents I have. Uh, they sacrificed so much for me during my during my young age, uh, investing in me and the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I was able to buy my parents a house, a uh, new house. That's something I always wanted to do, and I promised it to them. And, and um, you know, and it happened. So that was the biggest thing for me outside of getting drafted, man, was being able to see them smile and cry and my friends and, and childhood. You know, coming from a small town like I come from, man, that was a huge deal. And uh, and I, I, was, I was just happy to, to see smiles on, on the people around me. So, again, fast forward, I know your rookie year, you sat behind Patrick Ramsey, Mark Brunel. And then in your second year, uh, you read in a playing. And then in 2008, Joe Gibbs retires. And then these are my words, not yours. I, so I don't want them to anybody confused about this. The mess of a coach, Jim Zorn, takes over. And, uh, <laughs> and you guys start six and two. Everything's looking great. And then you guys lose six of your last eight games. Do you remember specifically if there was something of why things started going south the second half of that season? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Uh, you know, we were running the football good early in that year. Uh, I was doing really good. I don't think I threw an interception the first eight games of the year or something. I think my first one came in the ninth game against the Steelers. Um, yeah, we was rolling, man. And all of a sudden, injuries started to play a part. You know, Porter's got hurt a little bit, got banged up. Um, you know, Chris, Chris Samuels got banged up a little bit. Santana was fighting injuries later part of that year. And then I think people started to catch on a little bit of what we was doing offensively. Um, I think early in the year, Jim Zorn being so new, I think people didn't know what we was doing. And then I think once people kind of, you know, in the NFL, everyone gets a book on you. And I think once they kind of got the book and start to read it a little bit more, they started to find out we had tendencies. And, uh, once they find out we had some tendencies, they start to key on those things and, uh, and you know we just didn't we just couldn't adjust and uh, and everything and I think that was the biggest part from the first half of the season to the second half of the season is people caught up with what we were doing and we weren't able to find adjustments. Speaking of Jim Zorn, Eric, I know there's something specifically you wanted to ask, Jason. All right, 2009, week 15, you guys are four and nine. You play the Giants on Monday Night Football down 24 nothing right before half. Jim Zorn does that trick play. What was halftime like, or what was the move? What was said? <laughs> oh man, uh, I don't know. I, it was, you know, that's some stuff stayed in the locker room, but that. Uh, was, yeah, I get that. You know, I, I can't put it out like that. Yeah, I, that's, that's very fair. So then, let's fast forward to your time in Washington. Ends, you become a Raider. You get a contract extension. A legendary Al Davis compares you to former Raider Jim Plunkett. What was the trade like for you? Do you remember when you found out you got traded? And what was it like going to the open locker room? And again, us being from D.C., I know that yeah. the D.C. area, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of uh, bad, bad culture, especially with Bruce Allen and his time here. Um, do you remember everything kind of that was going on with all that? Yeah, that was uh, it was tough. You know, to leave Washington, um, like I said, man, I had built a, a platform there in the community, you know, not just on the football field, but, you know, I was involved in a lot of things outside of the, outside of the football field. Uh, I felt a part of the community um, and everything. I feel like with the right things and right pieces in place, man, I would have had an opportunity to really flourish and, uh, and do some things there. Um, even through all the chaos in 2009 from, you know, them taking a play calling from Jim Zorn to us bringing in, you know, another offensive coordinator who hadn't been in football in like three years and and still was able to put up, you know, close to almost 4,000 yards and 20 touchdowns and missing four of my starting offensive linemen and only had one healthy receiver for most part of the season. 
you know, I thought I had done a really good job that year compared to all the chaos that was going on. So when I got traded to Oakland, it was like a breath of fresh air, but it was definitely hard to leave um, because all my friends I had developed there. But when I got there, man, Al Davis, uh, you know, he, he's a player's guy, man. He's a player's guy, and he made it. He made me want to play for Oakland, and uh, and we got things turned around. We got things turned around. We started doing pretty good there, and you know, fortunately, I got broken collarbone and. And everything. So, if it wasn't for that, man, who knows what what Scott's limit? But I know everything's happened for a reason. So, I don't really beat on it much. But you know, it was a, it was a good experience, though. Man. I really enjoyed my time out in Oakland. Well, I, I personally am a Raiders fan, so it was uh, nice to hear someone call it a breath of fresh air. You don't normally hear that <laughs> when people are talking about Oakland. But um, it was I know you said Al Davis is, <laughs> is a player's guy. I, I know he was getting up there in terms of his age at that point, but was there any any specific stories or anything? I know he used to, you know, go to practices every day, but well, I don't I know if he was still able to do that. I was kind of like the uh, how I don't say this. It's like you in high school, you see the principal coming down the coming down the hallway, and everybody just scatter. Yeah. <laughs> That's how it was with Al. Like after practice, every day around about four thirty, you knew what time he was coming around through the hallway. So guys would be out talking, and then all of a sudden. They say, guys, it's almost 4.30, and they know he's coming around the corner. As soon as he almost comes around the corner, everybody's just scattered. Everybody runs to rooms, sit in rooms and everything. Because you did not want to get caught standing up there when Al come through there because it's going to be a long conversation. And then I thought this was just something people used to talk about, how he used to call down from the box and tell people, tell the offense coordinator what he wanted to see. But it was reality. I was sitting down there, and we was playing somebody. He called down. And the offense coordinator said, hey, the phone. I was like, the phone? Yeah, the phone. So I get on the phone. I'm thinking about talking to the quarterback coach, Paul Hackett, but it wasn't. It was Al Davis. And they was like, hey, you know, I want a, I want a nine route. He loves to throw the ball deep. I said, well, Al, they're playing cover two. He was like, I don't care. I want a nine route. So we <laughs> get back in the next series. I tell Darius Haywood Bay at the time, I say, hey, man, hey, we're going to call it a nine route. You know, 999 is what we call it, 999 f scene. I said, uh, it's going to be covered too. I said, I'm going to kind of wait till you get up on the safety a little bit, and then I'm going to launch it. You just got to go get it. Just don't let it be an interception. <laughs> He's like, <"Gotcha." laughs> so we do it, throw it. Lo and behold, he catches the ball and spins and runs for like 40 yards for a touchdown. And I just like, Al's going to be so excited. and going to say, see, I told you. I told you. <laughs> all I about it is that it was successful, so he's going to say he was always right. So, And, and yeah. that'll let him call a few more times. Well, I was right the last time. <laughs> exactly. So, unfortunately, he passed away my second year out in Oakland the night before Houston game. And, uh, you know, that was a sad time because, you know, I had just really started to em- embrace him and really get to know him. And our team was taking off. He was four and two, headed to being five and two the next week when we played Cleveland. And I break my collarbone right before halftime. And, uh, and you know, the rest is history. But, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate because I feel like I would have been there for another four or five years, at least at least four years with Al still being alive. I, I do think people overlook how good you were in Oakland because it was a short stint. I mean, in my lifetime rooting for the Oakland Raiders, you have like the second best win percentage. So <laughs> like there's a, there's a lot of uh, disappointment before and a lot of disappointment after, but that, that eight and eight season uh, where you swept the division and then it, it was a good start when we started off four and two. I mean, 
I, I do want to make sure people know that you were good in Oakland. <laughs> yeah, man. We hated, we was hated to be a playoff team that year. Like we was and the team was so young. You know, I was 28 at that time, or 29. I was 29 at the time, and the rest of the guys was like 24, 23. Richard Seymour was like 32. You know, so we was a pretty good team that uh, was going in the right direction, man. But like I say, like, once you lose that leadership, you know, and you don't have the right people in place, man, things can unravel pretty quickly. I know John was a big fan of your receiving core with Jacoby Ford, Denarius Moore, Darius Hayward Bay. <laughs> right, Speed right. Speed everywhere. So right. fast. <laughs> uh, but uh, so then again, the uh, you kind of fast forward again to April 2015. I read this that a lot of multiple teams contacted you about um, coming. You kind of at that point decided you wanted to retire. A lot of teams contacted you. Um, was it because of injuries or did you just they weren't offering you starting jobs? What ultimately made you decide to hang it up at the end of the day? Uh, I feel like 100% I couldn't give it to my heart. I couldn't give my heart to it anymore. Um, you know, I just feel like, you know, when Oakland, I'm going to be honest with you, it, it hurt me when Oakland made a trade for Carson Palmer. Because mm, I feel like <laughs> Oakland we hadn't been winning and hadn't had continuity in so long. And the fact that we was getting that and uh, and it kind of took it from me when you was playing at a high level. I was in top 10 in every category as a quarterback that year. And, uh, you know, for it just to get pulled out from under you like that, not that you was playing bad, you was doing really good. And I was in the prime of my career. That kind of stung me a little bit. And uh, and then so that – and then with that and then some of the injuries, but I just didn't feel like learning a new playbook. You know, with a new team, I just kind of got tired and just wanted to move on with life. And, uh, and that's pretty much how I made that retirement decision. Well, Jason, uh, we, again, really are thankful for your time. We're talking to Jason Campbell – MNFL veteran, 10 years in the league. We're going to get you out of here on this. We always do a little bit of a rapid-fire game with our guests that we bring on. So okay. just try not to think too much over it. It's 10 quick questions. First right. one that comes to your mind, all right? All right. Would you rather throw a 10-yard touchdown pass or a 20-yard rushing touchdown? 10-yard touchdown pass. French fries or onion rings? French fries. I like it. Who's hotter, <laughs> Wonder Woman or Catwoman? <laughs> Wonder Woman. Good answer. Like Less clothing. Are you comic books or movies, man? <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't think about that. Uh, rewind your life or be able to pause your life? Oh. Pause. Okay. Spaghetti through a straw or through a blender? Blender. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> well, maybe you drink some nasty protein drinks or something during football. Maybe I can see it. All right, these next five are a little bit more interesting. So, All right. nipple sized fingers or finger sized nipples? Oh, man. Oh, finger sized nipples. <laughs> <laughs> you got to listen to Justin Bieber or you got to watch the Hallmark Channel? Oh, man. Justin Bieber. Okay. He's got some bops. Yeah, he does. Uh, fight 100 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? One horse-sized duck. No hesitation. You think you just take them? Yeah. I like it. <laughs> do you like your Campbell soup chunky? Yes, I do. <laughs> right before we came on, I said, David, are you going to ask him a soup question? And he said, you'll see. I had to. I had to. And then awesome. our last last one to round out this questions. 
Would you rather have diarrhea during your wedding ceremony or during your wedding night? Oh, wedding night. <laughs> you went, oh, no, but come on. That's when the magic happens. I know, but hey, the wedding ceremony, too many people watching. <laughs> I, I respect that. I respect that. Hey, Jason, we really appreciate having you on, man. Thank you so much for your time. No, I appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a good one. You too. Again, if you want to connect with Jason on the socials, he's jcam underscore 17 on Twitter, jcampbell17 on the IG. Thanks again, Jason. I appreciate it. Y'all yeah, have a good one, bro. You too, man. Raiders Take it easy. An Eastern Motors legend. <laughs> <laughs> All good. <laughs> Take it easy, man. All right. See you, Jason. Bye. Bye.